Thank you, Lisa. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even as we have just seen and heard your kindness and generosity to us is unfailing, is rich, is saving. So God, as we continue to worship now through through your word, pray that we would see you exalted in Scripture and that we would behold your wonder and glory, your richness, and your love for sinners. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word that it would be good, good for our souls. Bring light into the darkness. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to get that away from my mouth. Exodus chapter 20, being verse 15. And we are continuing our, our study in the gospel, through the gospel and law, through the Ten Commandments. And so it bears repeating again that when we read the law, when we read the Ten Commandments, we are not reading a list of how to become a Christian. But rather, when we read the law, we see it after it is given to those who are saved. And so, as a pastor friend of mine says, what we're reading is the house rules. Right? If, if, I, if I adopt a child from another culture, or even from within our own culture, if I adopt them and bring them into my home, odds are that the way that we live in my house and the way that my family is may be very different. It's probably very different from the home that they're coming from. And so a different home has a different identity. And that's exactly the, the kind of way that the law is given, that it, it's God's house rules, it's God's character he wants to see it reflected in his children. And so when we come uh, to Exodus 20:15, I'm going to read actually verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 21 to remind us of that gospel foundation, that, that we have been saved, we have been rescued, and then God's word in, in verse 15. So God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. Verse 15. Do not steal. My buddy Scott, um, he'll say it this way so I can say it this way. He's planting a church in the hood. Okay? Uh, He has built his house and he has moved his family into a rough neighborhood in Mobile. And while he was building his house... um, his trailer that he was using to transport construction stuff, his trailer came up missing. Somebody stole it. Okay? And many of us probably think, well, that's what happens when you build a house in the hood. Your stuff gets stolen. Um, And now Scott has been in the neighborhood, in and out of the neighborhood for a few years. He's been getting to know people. And so he knows who the important people are. 
right? He knows, he knows the connections, and so he started making some phone calls. And those phone calls led him to a Chevron station where he picked up one of the major drug dealers in the neighborhood. Okay, so this guy is a criminal, probably a pretty dangerous guy, and he gets in Scott's back seat. It's like, it's like a movie, right? So he gets in Scott's back seat, and he says, all right, let's go for a ride. <laughs> you want to plant a church in the hood? Um, this guy knew exactly where the thief was. He took Scott straight to his house and pointed out his trailer and said, I want you to go, I want you to go tell that guy. We'll, we'll call, we'll call the, the dealer, we'll call him Bob, and we'll call the thief Tim. Bob said, you go tell Tim that I told you to give your trailer back, right? The irony, I tell you all all of the story, the irony of the story is that even the drug dealer hates the thief. Nobody likes a thief, right? They're dishonest, they're untrustworthy, and so all of us have have an image in our head of what a thief is. These are the kind of people who steal, And what the Bible tells us is, the Bible tells me is that I'm a thief and that you're a thief, right? We're all thieves. And that's the beauty of the law, right? When, when God gives these three simple words, do not steal, right? The simplicity of it is that it's so broad that those of us uh, who think we're better than a common thief are really no better at all, right? So here's what we're going to see today. If your God is a giver, then you can no longer be a taker. If your God is a giver, you can no longer be a taker. But the problem is, all of us are takers by nature. All of us are takers. And God is a giver. And the only way that takers become givers is if they're transformed by the giver himself. And so that's kind of the progression we're going we're gonna to go through. But let's go back to this idea of a, a thief and how none of us likes a thief and we probably don't like being called a thief, right? It's just as bad to call somebody a liar. But Jake will have to do that next week, all right? I'm going to only insult you once. So as hard as it may be to admit, I'm a thief and you're a thief. And the reason I say that is our family history. Okay, if you go back to the beginning... Adam and Eve are placed in this beautiful garden. They're surrounded by all of God's goodness. They're given everything that they need. There is nothing that they lack. And yet, Eve, when she hears the serpent's hiss, she hears a lie. Right? What, it, what does the serpent say? Right, what, is the, what is the lie that she hears? You know, God's holding out on you. I mean, he gave, he gave you this whole garden. He gave you all of these trees, but he won't let you eat of that tree? Hmm. You know why, don't you? He wants you to be blind. He wants you to be ignorant. He doesn't want you to meet your full potential. He doesn't want you to to be like Him. He doesn't want you to be all that you could be. God's holding out on you. 
And Eve believed the lie, and she took, and she ate. And Adam believed the lie, and he took, and he ate. They took something that didn't belong to them. That's the definition of stealing. They took, and they ate. And I take, and I eat. And you take, and you eat. Right? They became thieves, and it brought death. Death to them, death to us. Right? Included in in that definition of stealing, taking something that doesn't belong to you, right? Of course, money, property. By the, by the way, the Bible believes in the idea of, of private, personal property, right? Or this command wouldn't have much meaning, okay? Land, people, kidnapping, slavery of all kinds, okay? Chattel slavery, the slavery that goes on now, uh, in the dark corners, not just of the world, but even here, okay? Shady business, risking someone else's money when there is no risk to you. In Malachi, God even says that not paying the tithe, okay? And that's a broader, longer question about how that applies in the New Testament, but God says that the Israelites, that his people, rob him, steal from him when they don't give him his due. That's stealing. Right? But it's more than economic. It's deeper than that. Right? Because what, what could be so powerful that, that would make Adam and Eve look at all the things that surrounded them and still take the fruit? Greed. They're greedy for God's glory. I'm greedy for God's glory. I want to be like God. Right? I believe that God... What I, the lie that I believe and the lie that you believe is that I deserve something that God has not given me. So I take it. So I steal it. Right? And that, and that motive is at work... Kids, every time you snatch a toy from your brother's hand, every time you make a a bad deal with your sister so that you can get her clothes and wear her stuff and never give it back, right? Um, Something as small, even, even borrowing something and then not returning it, acting like it's yours. I've already had to apologize to Jake twice for two books that I borrowed and pretended like they were mine, Okay. I told you I was a thief. Every time you cheat on a test, right, you, you are stealing a score that doesn't belong to you by trying to steal knowledge that you don't have. Businessmen, every time you oversell yourself or your product, every time you steal a person's reputation or good name by slander and gossip, and backbiting, and backstabbing. Every time you steal a person's heart through manipulation, right? Every time you take advantage of someone else for your own benefit. Every time you goof off at work, getting paid to do more work than you're actually doing. A book came out a few years ago. Uh, 
revealing that Americans, the, the amount of time we actually spend at work versus doing other things, Facebook, etc., we actually it translates into a four-day work week when we get paid for a five. Okay, uh, we're stealing money from our bosses. Or if you're an employer, right, not paying your employees what they're worth. Every time you steal God's glory for yourself, either by pretending that you can be God, by doing it on your own, or, this is particularly poignant for elders and pastors, by pretending that you're the Savior and that you can fix it. We're thieves. I worked with a guy uh, in college. We, would, we worked on the road. And so that meant we, we ate in a lot of restaurants and we stayed in a lot of hotels. And he was a, he, I don't know that you would say he was a kleptomaniac, but he, he stole an awful lot. Not from, not from any of us on the crew, but if, for instance, if he liked the pillow he'd slept on that night in the hotel, he'd just take it and throw it in the van. And I would say, hey, dude, what's the deal? And he'd say, oh, man, that's a big company. They're not going to notice one pillow missing. All right, that's how we, we, we justify the sin when it's us. And we would, it's not stealing, right? Holiday Inn Express is a big company. They don't miss pillows. They've got storerooms with thousands of pillows, and it's be fine. Right? No, 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 that's stealing. I really need to say this just so that, so that the truth will get out there. I really need to say this about this person. No, that's, that's stealing. That's, that's robbing them of their reputation and name. So we cannot escape the indictment of the law that we are thieves. We are thieves. Right, that image of the thief that you've probably formed in your head of the guy who took Scott's trailer, hopefully when you read the law, it begins to look a lot more like you and me. Okay? And by contrast, right, God is a giver. You can't read Scripture, or hopefully you can't read Scripture without seeing that to be true. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, and you see all of the wonderful things that God, have, God has made... He could have given us, he could have made a bland, tasteless world. You know, steak doesn't have to taste like steak. Strawberries don't have to taste like strawberries. Chocolate doesn't have to taste like chocolate. God could have given us a tasteless world, but he didn't. He could have given us a colorless world where everything's gray, but he didn't. He could have given us a world with no beaches, no mountains, no forest, no Grand Canyons. But he didn't. He could have ended our history after Eden, or after Noah, or after Israel, or at World War II. How many diseases and famines and wars? How many times have we been able to eradicate ourselves and yet we're still here because God is a giver. Right? God is a large-hearted, liberal giver. Right? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45, 
He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Everybody receives the benefits of God's common grace. Listen to the way he describes himself, his character to Moses. This is right after Israel has sinned with the, with the golden calf and Moses has had to intercede. And to top it all off, Moses begs God that he would see his glory, which he can't. But God gives him a glimpse and then he says this. This is how he describes himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Nehemiah, hundreds of years later, is recounting this incident. And he says, They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. God is a giver, a large-hearted, liberal giver. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's Psalm 86, Psalm 103, Psalm 145. That refrain is repeated about God throughout the Bible. That is who He is. It is who He is now. but I don't have a heart that believes that. I still believe the lie of Adam and Eve that God is holding out on me. And instead of being thankful, I complain. Rather than being filled with gratitude, I'm filled with bitterness. So what do I do? What hope do we have? Well, the good news is that my lack of gratitude, my unthankfulness are not a barrier to God's goodness overpowering me, God's generosity winning me, right? He conquers my heart and wins me over, right? How does, how does Jesus redeem thieves like me and thieves like you? What does God do with takers? He gives himself. Right? Galatians 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. And maybe the best yet, 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. 
the giver gives of himself so that the takers are transformed. Right? The most stunning proof that God is a large-hearted giver is that He gave His Son into the hands of sinful men so that sinful men could be set free. We've sung this song before. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. So if you're in Christ, that means you are God's treasure. He gave up His most treasured possession, His beloved Son, to make you His treasure. And then that means that He is your treasure. That He belongs to you. You have all of His riches. He has given His Son, and you have all things in Him. So that means that whether you, if you make $16,000 a year or $600,000 a year, if you're a child of the king, you're a rich kid. And you have an inheritance that's never going away. You have wealth that no thief can steal and that no rust or moth will destroy laid up for you in heaven. When our hearts are broken by the lavish generosity of God, we become lost in wonder, love, and praise. And those stingy, clutching fingers that grip onto the things we want so badly, when they're overwhelmed by God's generosity, they loosen. And the takers become the givers. The early church in Acts 4, so overwhelmed by God's generosity that they, it said they have all things in common. That they're selling their possessions so that the people who are in need in their community, in their, in their church community, can be, their needs can be met. Right? Acts 4 repeats again, they had all things in common. Paul tells the Ephesian church in chapter 4, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, rather let him labor, doing good work with his hands, so that he may have something to give to anyone who is in need. What Paul is saying is that in the, in the family of God, in the church, when we are transformed by the gospel, what we used to do, Right? The person who steals, it's time to put that away. And stealing, taking, becomes giving. Thieving is transformed into generosity through work. The takers become the givers by the grace of God. So there was a, there was a man... He was a poor man uh, working for a landowner, working out in the field. And as he, was, as he was digging, digging in the soft earth, you know how it is when you're digging and all of a sudden the, the shovel just 
stops and kind of kicks back on you. What happened? It sounded like he hit metal. What in the world could that be? So he keeps digging. And he digs and digs and he unearths this box. This rusted metal wooden box. And he takes his shovel and he smashes the lock off of it and he opens it up. And there's treasure. Gold, jewels, uncut diamonds. You know what he does. He buries it back in the ground. He runs all the way home. And he sells everything he has. He sells his home. He sells his property. He sells his livestock. And he goes and he buys that field so that he can get his hands on that treasure. Jesus told that parable to talk about the goodness of the kingdom of God. We have this insatiable appetite for more. More money, more friends, more approval. Right? We are desperately looking for a treasure. But the only one that will last forever and can never be lost is found in Jesus. So why don't you sell all that other piddling stuff? Give up on all that treasure that you think will help, but that always seems to disappear, that can always be stolen, that can always be taken away, and lay hold of the treasure in heaven. Lay hold of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are generous and that out of your generosity you sent your Son so that we could be free, so that we could have life, so that we could come home so that we could inherit the kingdom. Transform us, please. I'm stingy. I'm a stingy taker. And I need to be a giver. God, over, overwhelm my heart with your generosity. So that I too become generous. Because I love and serve and belong to a generous God. May we be like Zacchaeus. A thieving criminal. One who wanted to see Jesus. And when Jesus came to his house. He said I repay fourfold everything that I've stolen. I want to give it away. So that I can have you. Make us like Zacchaeus. Help us to be generous in Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen.